Hey John, welcome back to another working session, man. I know it's been, we took a week off last week, had a bunch of stuff going on. We got some news to share today, or at least I do, and I'm sure you've got some other updates there. So how's life on your end? How are things over there in the mountain region? Good, James. They are going well, man. It is uh, another cloudy day here. I think we have a storm coming in. It's going to snow in the mountains tonight, tomorrow. So I don't think we're going up this weekend, but yeah, things are going well here, dude. Just getting over a few weeks of sickness, just like head cold, the sinus infection, all that fun stuff. So finally getting over that, feeling like myself again, which is nice. Can get back to working out and all that. What about, what about your end? Yeah, about the same. Uh, we're not scaring snow yet here in Northeast Ohio, thankfully. Although we have, we've had snow on Halloween before, which just happened. Speaking of Halloween, this weird, like, all-encompassing fog this morning. And it was the perfect, like, spooky fall going into winter. Still dark in the morning when I take the kids to daycare. So we walked out, it was dark. Fog was just covering the ground. You look up and down the street, you can only see, like, 50 feet in front of you. And it's just like, yeah, this is the Halloween spookiness that we needed, but it's a few days late. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm clinging to the last few tendrils of... Uh, fall here. Winter's not my favorite time of year. So I'll take the leaves and the football and everything else going on for a few more weeks. And then I don't know if I had mountains in my backyard, though, I might be more excited about snow. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm, I'm really re ready to be able to do a lot of skiing this year, hoping it's a good snow year. So far, it's it's starting off all right. So, you know, pretty big couple storms blowing through in the next like 10 days, it looks like. So I won't be able to be up there for a few weeks. We're heading out to, to Disney World in Florida next week, next Friday. So I won't, won't be up there for a couple weekends. But when we come back, the mountain will be open. Breckenridge will be open. So be getting out there skiing and, and plan to be in town a lot. But, you know, trying to balance that with business and work and all that and building, building the company so that I can take time to ski or just like have mornings open where like, you know, ski powder day is only really good. Like, first chair to noonish, and then everything gets kind of tracked out so you know if i can have my mornings open i'm i'm gonna be happy maybe there's some solace in there that you can do whatever you want and the mountain's still going to be there the mountain's not going anywhere you know but i could say the same it's thing true. like editor ninja's still going to be there when you get back so take some time off to go to the mountains you can make the argument for either side yep yep you got it you got it the mountains will always be there but so will business you know, so will life. So, but powder will not always be there. So, you know, I, I try to not, I try to not miss those days. I had a lot of powder days last year where I was just like, I just had stuff that I couldn't move. And was like, I remember there were like each January, February, March, each had one or two powder days. So it was like a Thursday and I wasn't able to go because I had like a big podcast recording or something like that. So I basically decided for this year, I'm like, nope, only doing like podcasts, like, like being a guest and such like in the afternoons. Like I'm keeping my mornings free because like, I just, I want to be at this point. Like I want to be free to go if I, if I can. So build your business around your life. Don't build your life around your business is my approach at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Well, listen, you brought the icebreaker this week. I know, I think it's tied to what you've been doing the last week or so since we last talked, which is customer interviews. So you maybe want to, maybe want to pitch it, I guess, where, where your mindset was when you suggested it. Yeah. So where my mindset was on this is I was talking to Chris Lemma recently and a couple of weeks ago, and he, he kind of uh, challenged me on my thinking around who our ideal customer is. And some of my like just beliefs around what people want and what like in-house teams are willing to do. And he was basically like, I don't think you know as much as you think you know, and I think you need to go talk to people. He said it in a much nicer way than that, but I basically was like, all right, I'll go like, I'll go try to get a bunch of like phone calls happening. And he gave me this kind of promotion strategy of like, you know, posting stuff on LinkedIn, inviting people, you know, on the calls. I started emailing some people personally and being like, Hey, they, can we, you know, friends, honestly, like, Hey, can we catch up? 
would also just like love to hear what you're kind of doing day to day, what your you know, work looks like as a content manager or something like that. And and got a few kind of queued up. And then I posted in the super path, those are community, 10,000 plus people of content marketers and had like eight, 10 people raise their hand and be like, yeah, I'd be, I'd love to chat for 30 minutes and kind of tell you what I do and, you know, give, give you some insight so you can, you know, keep building. And so I've done 10, 12 of these calls over the last like eight working days, something like that. And it's just been fascinating, man. I've just gotten some really interesting insight into like what people want, where their like pain points are. And I knew some of it, but some of it also, I was like, it's just completely new. And I kept, I kept hearing, it's really like jobs to be done interviews. And I, I've been hearing the same thing over and over and over. I'm not even prompting them for it. It's just like people saying the same thing without me leading them into it, which has been like fascinating. For example, like everyone says they have trouble finding subject matter experts or getting time from their subject matter experts internally. So they're like, well, it'd be awesome if I could get this review, get like content written by a freelancer who like knows the space and they've got a good outline and all that, but like still need someone that really knows the space to look it over. Right. And like a VP of something or co-founder of hundred person company, they should not be reviewing content for correctness. Right. The content manager also doesn't feel confident in reviewing it for correctness themselves, right? They want an actual like lawyer or doctor or email marketing, like professional, you know, sort of thing to review it. And so like, I'm, I'm working through what that looks like, but also three of them said, you know, what would really be useful if you could get a subject matter, if I could find a subject matter expert through editor ninja to review this but they would also record a Loom video talking through the changes that they're making as they're doing it. And then I can review that Loom video. What? Like they just <laughs> straight up told me like what they want the offering to be, right? And what they would pay for it. And then experts have told me what they would want to be paid or what they would need in the offerings for it to be worth their while to, to offer this, right? Like buy our, our service, et cetera. And so it's just been interesting to me, James, that like, as and I'm just taking a, a ton of notes as I go back and I look, I'm seeing themes that like I wasn't even paying attention to as I as I look through it. You know, things like I'd love a loom video or I want the option to be able to like do this or this or like I'd love to be able to get quotes from people, like that kind of thing. And just seeing where multiple people have said this, I wasn't even really paying attention to it. Because I'm like, oh, that's interesting, right? But one person, but then like four people say it. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just become like a huge <clears throat> believer in if you don't know what to build or you don't know what people want, go talk to people. And actually see what they want, write down what they're literally saying. I have so many quotes that I'm going to turn into marketing copy, right? I'm going to put that like on our page. So people come to us like, wow, it's like you, you know, took the words out of my mouth. Yeah. I was just going to say, I hope you're recording those. I'm not recording like the conversations themselves, but I'm taking a ton of notes and like quotes and stuff as they're saying it. So have you done customer interviews before? Really for me, they're market research interviews. They're not even like customers. You know, it's like, what, what, where should we be going? What should we be looking to build? Where should the service be going? Not like feedback on what we currently have, right? And how that could be better. That's important too, but this is a different level of, you know, interview. So what, yeah, what about I, you? I think customer interviews are like, it's kind of like diet and exercise where like everybody knows what to do. You know what's a bad food choice and what's a good food choice. You know that you should eat fewer calories than you burn and stuff like that. It's like people know the right thing, but it's still hard to do the right thing and do the right thing consistently. Right. And and at the same time, it's also like exercise in the way that like, man, I really I don't know if I want to do customer interviews. They're time consuming. It's hard to get people on the phone. They're awkward. Maybe I don't like face to face conversation. I don't know what questions to ask, whatever. We have all these excuses in our mind. 
But then after you do 10 of them, you start feeling like some of the feelings you're describing, like, whoa, that was super insightful. I'm so glad I did that. I've got marketing messages. I got a new feature idea. I've got a new service line idea. I've got maybe some testimonials. Like it's like running a marathon, right? You're like, oh, I can't believe I signed up for that marathon. And then you're going through the training and you're like, man, this training is so hard. Like I'm, I'm hurting or whatever. And then after you run the marathon, you're like sweaty and you're like laying in the grass or whatever. You're like, oh, I'm so glad I did that. That was so rewarding. I can always say that I ran a marathon, whatever. It's like doing hard things sometimes can be miserable, but sometimes it's really worth it. And it's really rewarding right. in the end. And I kind of think that customer interviews are like that for a lot of founders. I also think that there's enough conversation out there around customer interviews that people do it on the front end, maybe before they launch the service. And they're like, is there a need in the market for this? And then they just kind of never come back to it. And it really should be something that you do almost quarterly. I mean, ideally, I've heard of, of founders of of bigger startups, when they get more bandwidth, they're like, I talk to customers every week. I have a standing block of like office hours that anybody can book time. And I'm just trying to fill those slots every week just to keep a pulse on like how things are changing. So I do think that it's, it's good that, you know, kind of in this post launch, but still early stages, you're doing another round of these. And, and we'll see my notes later. Like, I think it's about time for me to do another one for Castaway because sure, we've proven that there's a yeah. need in the market, but we haven't proven that we are ready to address that need in the best way possible. And that might not be an exhaustive list of all the needs and use cases there are out there. So it's always good to keep in touch with folks, I think. Right. I also loved how when Chris and I were talking about this, he, he went, look, I know you don't want to do it, but and the first three to five, you're going to feel awkward. You're not going to know the right questions to ask, that kind of thing. But then after you do three to five of them, then you start actually getting pretty good at it. And you're like hearing the similar things and you're seeing these threads and, and it just gets a lot easier and it actually becomes fun. Right. So like, you know, to your point about like, like, I think where the, like the marathon kind of thing breaks down is a lot of people, they finish it and they're like, I'm glad I did that. I never want to do that again. Versus I'm yeah. like, it's more like working out, like starting to go to the gym, going to the gym the first time, second time, fifth time, first, first, second, third, let's say. You're feeling kind of awkward, right? Especially if it's a new gym, you're getting to know like the vibe, you're getting to know where the machines are, like this sort of thing. But then after a while, you just settle into it. And it feels weird if you're not doing it and it just becomes like part of who you are and it becomes easier over time. And obviously you're still like pushing, right? You're still trying to, to get, you know, get stronger and you're just in your workouts, but like you start to see people that you know there and, you know, you're seeing the progress and and that's, that's where kind of the rubber meets the road, you know, and it just becomes kind of a habit. It's a habit I wish I had had like early days of Credo. Honestly, I was just like trying to build stuff and like, oh, maybe this will work. Maybe that'll work. And like, you just get burned out, like work like spending a lot of time on things that don't actually work out because people don't actually want it because you didn't actually ask them what they wanted. So I think yeah. we need to quit being like, this is the challenge when like a, a, a subject matter expert or like someone that's really passionate about the space launches a service. It's really hard for them to take it and scale it because they're so tied to like, this is what it should be. This is how it should work. At least this is how I've been. And now I'm realizing like, I'm passionate about companies growing. I'm passionate about companies producing better content, but I don't care how they get it done. People all do it in different ways. So like, I'm going to build a platform that people can just get done what they need to get done through. And we're not going to prescribe a specific way to do it. You know, there is a place for opinionated stuff, right? It's why you have like, I mean, Trello is kind of like Kanban boards. You can have whatever, you know, they, they don't care how you do it. Right. Versus like Basecamp is like, this is how you manage project. This is the Basecamp way. This is the Asana way. This is the Monday.com way, that kind of thing. But I think there's also a place for platforms that don't have a strong opinion about how you get it done. It's just that you should be getting it done. 
Yeah, I agree. I think that would be more like a like a HubSpot or a Salesforce or something. It's like, yeah, here are a hundred different features you can use, plug and play as you need. This is kind of your your ecosystem to live inside of. Yeah, and I would say the last thing I'd say about interviews is like people say, how many people should I talk to? Right? Like, is is five enough? Is ten enough? I think that to your point earlier, as you get into them and you get more comfortable with them, you will naturally feel like okay, I think I don't have any questions to ask right now that I haven't already heard the same answer to several times over. Like once you see those patterns and trends, you're kind of like, okay, this is a good time for me to take a strategic pause and go do, go implement what I've learned. And then it'll be another a time for another round further in the future. So I think there is like a natural sense of like, hey, I'm just hearing the same thing over and over again. And I think that's extremely helpful for founders because a lot of us, myself included, I built Castaway to scratch my own itch. And I come into this thinking, I know the problem because I had the problem, right? But that's that's not necessarily 100% accurate. Maybe everybody doesn't experience that problem in the same way. Maybe you're directionally correct and maybe you solved it for one use case, but that doesn't mean there's not still room for improvement. So even if you think you have it figured out because you're living and breathing, whatever the lifestyle that caused you to start your business in the first place, there's always value in talking to customers. And my personal opinion, being the video guy in the room is like, they should always be recorded with the blessing. If the participant's cool with it, always record it because you can turn that into a transcript and then you have their exact words for those marketing messages or you capture that video you splice five or six of those little snippets together and you've got kind of a montage for your hero section and if you see like eight editors at big notable brands all saying like hey we didn't have the time to do this editing and proofreading in-house or it was not a great use of time for our c-suite executives so we wanted to find somebody outside of the organization that was still a subject matter expert you get five or six people saying that you put that into a video and clip it all together uh, with some editor ninja branding that becomes a really compelling asset right there in the hero section of your page so i don't know that's that's my advice is like if you can get them to opt in to recording i think it's always better to have that and be able to tap back into it again with their permission hey we put this video together are you cool with us using your likeness here but yeah i think it, it never hurts to capture those assets. I like it. That's that's smart. I will do that moving forward. The question of how many should I do? Yeah, I, I think your answer of until you like you're hearing the same things over and over and over and it's just time to like get it done. Like premature action is dangerous. Premature optimization is dangerous, but also delaying taking action can be equally dangerous, right? Don't take action before you know what the problem is, but once you know what the problem is, then take massive action to solve that problem. So I think that's really, that's really smart. I tell people like my goal um, was to get yeah. 10 scheduled. And I think I've had 12, 13, 14, something like that. And like the first day, cause it was like Wednesday or Thursday that I talked with Chris and like started executing on it that day, like Thursday, Friday, Monday. And by Monday I had one scheduled for that week. This is like a week and a half ago. Now I had one scheduled. And then by the end of the day, I had six. And then by the next day I had 10 and it just like snowballed real quick, you know? So if I had stopped after like one LinkedIn post or one email to someone or one direct message to someone, I never would have gotten it. Right. But I set myself this goal of 10 and I've, I've exceeded it. And like, after this set, I, I just need to go execute, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. What else is going on in editor ninja world? Yeah. What else is going on in editor ninja world? I mean, the, the customer interviews is, is the main thing. And I've really just like, I think I've identified what the big need is. Um, and so basically I'm, I'm going to be building out some new features that basically let us like onboard subject matter expert editors, where they can create a profile that they can share, you know, with prospective like freelance clients, like that sort of thing. So these aren't editors in like the, the way we've currently had like copy editors, proofreaders that like we sign on customers for the, like the unlimited option. 
and you know they upload documents and we assign them and we turn them around at a certain cadence, right? So this is different from that. This is basically like, let's build out a network of editors that we can kind of tap, right? We can tap on the shoulder where like someone comes in and they're like, hey, I need a subject matter expert that can you know review content in the healthcare space, right? Well, here's a, like, we can go, we can tap an editor that like, has created a profile and they said that they're an expert in, in healthcare, right? Then they get them to, you know, review it from that level. You know, it's kind of a chicken and egg problem, but I've, I solved that with Credo in the past. So like, I know exactly how to do it. So at this point, it's really like executing, you know, on that while at the same time, you know, continuing to do onboarding calls. Something I've done recently, James, that, that I think would be maybe interesting to talk about is I talked a while ago, I was listening to one of our, our previous podcasts talking about the book, Never Lose a Customer Again. And Something I decided to do was when when a customer comes on board to Editor Ninja, I'm inviting them to Slack via Slack Connect. So we have a direct, you know, one-to-one like communication there that's not email because we all live in Slack. And so now I have all of our customers on direct messages with me because I'm doing all the account management, right? But it lets me ping them quickly and be like, hey, so-and-so like, you know, we'd, we'd love to get this document with, you know, your editor today, but, you know, realize that it has, it, it's, we don't have the permissions to see it, right? Can you, you know, can you do that? And it just like pops up for them and they're like, yep, absolutely. And they share it. And, you know, then I can, I, then I can get it assigned. So it's, it's interesting. Like I'm getting, you know, just quicker, like more direct feedback from them in an async way in a place where they're already living. And, it, and the cool thing about Slack Connect is like, it's not them joining Editor Ninja's Slack. It's just them connecting with me. So like, you know, so say, you know, say Castaway was a, was a customer, right? And you have your Castaway Slack with your, all your freelancers and your team and that kind of thing. But I could invite you to connect with me and it shows up in your direct messages in your Castaway Slack instance, right? Right, yeah. So you're not even having to go to like the thick client or whatever on, you know, on your computer and then click into Editor Ninja and see your communications with me. It's right there in your Castaway Slack. So mm-hmm. it's just a much more like direct line. I am I am going to bite the bullet at some point. And once I have a like a, an account manager other than me, I will bite the bullet and basically so I can create channels. So it's like, here's the Castaway and Editor Ninja channel, right? And then there can be like multiple people from your side in it, multiple people from my side in it, from the Editor Ninja side in it, right? So like we can communicate in that way. But for now, just that one-to-one communication has been pretty, it's been pretty cool. And uh, I think we're going to keep it because it's, I think it's helping with like just communication and feedback and, you know, just like they they feel like we're part of their team. Yeah, I think that's really smart because we have a a Slack for Castaway and all of our contractors and stuff are in there. And I've thought about bringing clients in. I hadn't really considered the connect route, which is unfortunate because we use that at the good. And we have some of our clients at the good in there and, and we communicate in that way. Our virtual or not our virtual CFO, but our external like third party CFO firm is connected to us in that way. I guess my only hesitation there was that maybe that could be abused for extra revisions, you know, begging for quicker turnaround times, you know, things like that. It could almost be when somebody has such a direct line to you, then they could take advantage of that to try to get something above and beyond kind of the original scope of the engagement or something like that. But those are probably edge cases. And I think maybe that's just part of the filtering, like maybe not the right prospect, right? Like maybe not a good working relationship. And if you're in a position, uh, maybe you terminate that or just for, obviously you would start with some, hey, we can't really operate in this way. That's not how we're set up to, to be. And here's the proper channels or the proper ways to make that happen. But if it's a repeat offense, then maybe you just cut that person loose or whatever. That was my only reservation. But I think that's really like a, you know, like I said, an edge case. That's like a 3% of people might ever do that. And so it's probably worth it 
for the value of providing that outstanding customer experience and having that direct channel for them to communicate with you, that probably outweighs any downside that I just described. Yeah, and it just like, I, I'd just rather be a lot closer to them because I mean, churn, churn happens when, when, they, when they stop engaging, right? And so like, I can use it just a ping or like, I haven't seen a document like in a week, like, hey, what's, you know, what's going on? You know, can, can we, you know, can I help out? Like it just, I don't know, it just, it puts us closer to the customer, which I think is just a big, a big win. And the Slack Connect thing is, is really fascinating. I actually got the idea from my wife because at the company she was at previous to the one she currently is at, is if they're working with like an agency, they'll actually connect with that agency via Slack Connect so they can have that direct communication. You don't have to add them into the into their own like instance and remove them once they're done working together and that kind of thing. Like disconnecting from them once you're done working with them is literally clicking an X <laughs> and it goes away. It's so seamless. So I, I recommend at least trying it, you know, and getting into those those conversations. So I think that's super smart, especially when it's when you're still doing kind of that account management role, because having that direct connection to the founder of the company or CEO or however you want to refer to yourself back to the introduction about customer interviews, like it's that much easier to get somebody on a call to do a market research interview when you are already trading DMs in Slack about the day to day you know operations of that account. Or if you want to get somebody on the phone to do a testimonial or something like that, a case study. I think that's one of those little, it seems like a micro step that you can take, but in terms of building trust and getting somebody to opt into something that's kind of heavily favored in terms of value for Editor Ninja versus the client, getting them onto a case study or a testimonial, that ask gets a lot easier when you've already kind of paid the dues of having that direct connection with them for months and months and months just on their client work. Absolutely. Yes, that's, that's what's going on with me, man. What's, what's going on in your world? I know you got some big news. Yeah, yeah. So everything's finalized now. I guess I could talk about it here on the show. Uh, acquired Productize and Scale, which some of the listeners may be familiar with, given that this is a show about productized services. You might know Brian Castle was the original founder of Productize and Scale. He sold the business to our friend Sam Shepler over at Testimonial Hero, and I just acquired it from Sam. So this is a course, community, a newsletter, and some other information products around how to launch and grow a productized service, which is exactly what Castaway is. And so it felt like a great fit. I mean, it's a big investment for me personally, speaking strictly about the dollars that were invested, but I view it as kind of acquiring a captive audience in the space where I'd like to plant my flag as a personal brand. Mm -hmm. And I think there's also some alignment between productizing scale, teaching people how to launch productized services and being in the trenches operating one at the same time. I think there'll be some value exchange and cross-pollinated between those two entities just naturally. So overall, I'm really excited about it. It's one of those things where, you know, you write a check that's a significant amount for you and it's equal parts like exhilarating and also like anxiety inducing because it's like, oh, well, we want to recoup that investment somewhere down the line, right? So I don't know. I think it's a good kind of pressure. I think it's like, you made a big bet on yourself and just excited to see where it goes. So yeah, that's the big news on this side of things. Dude, I mean, that's that's huge news. It's huge news. What what was it that really made you like interested in it? Like, have you been thinking about this for a while? Like what, what kind of led to it? And how are you planning on then splitting your time? Because now you have three jobs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you have I know. Good, I mean, you have this and you have Castaway. Like, how are you going to make that work? Yeah, that's, that's the scary part. Let's see, I guess originally when Brian was going to sell productize and scale the first time I was kind of 
I was definitely interested and I started a conversation, but figured it was probably out of reach for me at the time in terms of the amount of money at capital I had available to to make something sure. like an acquisition. So that ended up not working out, but I did have a conversation about it. So I was there the first time around. And then when cool. Sam kind of shared the news that he was looking to part ways with it, I was top of mind for him because I had reached out. And so he actually came to me and said, this is what I'm thinking about. We traded some messages back and forth and it ended up working out. So, cool. you know, I was, I was always interested because in my heart of hearts, I like coaching. I like teaching. I like creating yeah. info products. I like transferring knowledge, right? From my experience to somebody who's a few steps behind me and kind of helping them catch up. And oh, by the way, avoid a lot of the mistakes that I made on my own journey. So I thought it was exciting. And when I first talked to Brian, I don't believe Castaway was really anything significant. We hadn't really started this kind of accountability measure here in the show and everything. And so at the time it wasn't as good a fit, but now that Castaway has some momentum behind it, we have formal structures, we've got a small team. It does feel like the overlap and the alignment between those two things makes a whole lot of sense to me. So that's where the appeal really comes from. In terms of wearing multiple hats, you know, honestly, that's a bit of a concern for me, but I think that there are some complementary forcing functions there. So acquiring productized and scale is a forcing function to stop being a jack of all trades and start acting like the productized service guy and embodying that part of my professional experience in my career in the same yeah. way I think that, you know, having cast away, there's some, there's a forcing function there to get out of some of those in the weeds type of roles that I'm playing, the client delivery work, maybe even some of the account management work. We've been talking about this almost ad nauseum for some of the listeners. I'm guessing is like, James has been talking about, you know, delegating and outsourcing and just getting into this visionary sales marketing role for a long time. Well, now hopefully this is the forcing function to make that happen, right? Because you just only have so many hours in the day and I can't continue to be a client delivery asset for Castaway and recoup that investment and productize and scale and grow it. So I, I think it's complementary forcing functions and hopefully it happens in a healthy way and hopefully it isn't a thing where it's like burnout or being stretched too thin or, or dropping balls, things slipping through the cracks. But I guess that remains to be seen. But I'm optimistic that um, it'll be healthy for me and require me to do some of the things that I know I should be doing but haven't made the move on yet. So it's kind of holding your own feet to the fire. It sounds yeah, like, like, because so. if you're, if you're stuck doing delivery, it's just much harder to scale because you're like, well, I don't have more time to do delivery. And, but so like, then I need to go hire someone to, you know, to do it. It's, it sometimes it just feels easier to do it yourself versus with this, it's like kind of don't have a choice. Right. And so it, it's, it's going to force you to delegate better at Castaway, get out of doing delivery, get out of doing project management, that kind of thing. We should talk about that too. I, I have a, I got an interesting insight from Chris Lima this week, actually about hiring. I was asking him about that, but it's, but I, I guess that, do you know this about yourself that like you work well with forcing functions like this where like you don't really have a choice? Yeah, I think so. I got this. You probably can't read it. There's a, a piece of art back here that says get uncomfortable. And I just think that like, I'm pretty self-aware and I think over the span of my life, I've made more good decisions than bad. And so therefore my lifestyle is very comfortable. Like financially, we're very comfortable. Mm. My family dynamic is great. My career is great. Like my health is great. And it's really easy to have things that you want to do long-term, but say, I'll get to that someday, right? Cause I'm comfortable. I'll get to that someday. I've got time for that. Like things are good now. So I think that 
making big bets, whether they're financial bets, whether it's putting your name on something, whether it's signing up for a marathon, something you're a little scared to do, whether it's signing up to get on stage and speak at a conference in front of a few hundred people that you're nervous to do. I think that like getting uncomfortable is a great forcing function for growth, personal, professional, whatever you want to, to do. And so I think it's one of those things where I wasn't feeling complacent, but just kind of feeling just comfy and cozy. And it kind of mm -hmm. felt like there, there's a time for that, but there's a certain amount of that that I start to feel like I'm wasting a little bit of potential. And I do think that historically it, it's been good for me to make these bets, to make these commitments, to kind of stretch myself a little bit and hope and pray and cross fingers that I'm going to come through and deliver. Right. And, and historically that's always been the case. So I think this is just another round of that and hopefully it works out the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Hope, pray, plan, right. Put a plan behind it and then execute on that. You know, I would say hope is not a strategy. Like it is, it is good to hope and to to be, uh, you know, optimistic and then also kind of putting the rubber to the road. You know, I, I like when people kind of push themselves too and be like, you know what, this is going to be uncomfortable. I, like I'm layering something on, you know, I'm like, I'm, I already feel pretty maxed out and I'm layering something else on that really like, I mean, it's what 75 hard did to me last year where I just realized like I can do way more than I ever thought I could do, you know, at, at once it's a matter of focus and committing. So it's cool, man. I'm, I'm excited to see where you take it. Do you have like specific plans you want to you want to share of what you're going to do with it or like what what are the first first steps i think the initially out of the gate the course needs an update it hasn't been updated for a year and a half or something like that and there's some new content that could be added and there's a community aspect to it that originally was pitched as you know you're going to have dedicated mastermind sessions and guest lectures and ask me anything sessions and those aren't really taking place right now so there's an opportunity to get in there and be more of an active community manager. So I think I'd like to reinvigorate some of those things. The podcast that came along with it, the productized podcast, if somebody has listened to that in the past is going to be restarted. I've got a sponsor lined up for that, a verbal commitment there. And it has a hundred episodes in the back catalog. So being the founder of Castaway, I'm going to take somebody, I'm going to turn that into a book of some kind. And maybe that means I just have them write it and it's kind of a, an ebook that's more of a lead generation asset. Or maybe I have them help me with the rough draft and then I go through and put my fingerprints all over it and publish it under, under my own name is more of a print book, right? Like insights from productized service leaders. So there's a lot of raw material there. I think right out of the gate, it's let's update the course. Let's get the community active again. Let's get the newsletter active again and start building the audience there and have them get to know me, right? And also get to know them. Customer interviews, the same kind of stuff that you're doing. I need to talk to the audience and see where we can add value. But longer term, I think there might be a book in the future. There might be a mastermind or kind of a private membership aspect to it. And there might be a coaching element too. And there, and there might be an opportunity where I can come in or some other experts like yourself can come in and coach some of the, the people as they're going through the course or as they become alumni, maybe the next step is, okay, you followed the course, you've launched your productized service, you're in the early stages. Let's get you in front of an experienced operator who's been through the next two or three steps, and they're going to help you navigate that so that you kind of get that exit velocity, right? To, to actually get out of the atmosphere and take off. I don't know. There's yeah. a lot of stuff we could do. I think you got to start with the basics and get a healthy foundation there and then reinvest those funds into making the rest of the stuff happen. Yeah. No, I like it, man. That that aside, what's, what's going on with Castaway right now? And I know you wanted to talk about like personal branding insights, so... Yeah, just a couple more updates, I guess. I'm, I'm expecting a quiet Q4. I don't know about you, but it, it does seem like we're starting to head into that period where people are retreating to the mountains, right? They're going to experience more or take advantage of more powder days. People are starting to have more holidays and stuff pop up. They're getting some of that. Just just quiet time, right? They're, they're starting to hunker down for the winter. That's okay with me, especially with this acquisition. Like I got my hands full. Um, if I don't close a new client for a while, 
Personally, I'm all right with that because there, there's a lot of stuff in motion right now and I just want to make sure nothing falls through the cracks. But at the same time, it comes with this realization that that $100,000 in the first 12 months target, probably going to come up short of that unless something crazy happens. So, you know, making your peace with maybe not making progress in one area, but making a pretty significant investment and commitment in another area. Maybe those two things balance out, right? Also, interestingly, I've had a couple of boomerang clients come back around as I'm calling them. So one of them was someone who did a paid trial with us and then they ended up not signing on because the pricing was too high for them at the time. They went with another provider. I got the message last week that they're unhappy with that provider. I don't know what aspect, whether it's communication or work quality or whatever. They came back around and said, hey, can we revisit this conversation? So that's good. Another similar situation, somebody tried to handle things internally and that person who was doing that for them in-house is now stretched too thin across other projects. So they're coming back around. So it's good that, you know, you have those conversations and the deals don't close. And that's maybe not the greatest feeling in the moment, but you stay in touch with these folks. You keep your marketing messages out there. You stay top of mind. You become known for something, right? And then when the deal or when they have a, an issue with whatever path they decided to go down and it doesn't work out, you want to be the first person they think about. And I think that that's a sign of some momentum and some, some small wins for Castaway so far. Man, I think that's so true. I've seen that too. I've seen people that I reached out to or that reached out to me back in like March, April. And they were like, oh, we just like hired full-time editors. Are we just, you know, we're, we're doing this thing. Like, and you know, it's not a fit then. And then like, they'd come back around and they're like, hey, we realize that like, we don't need that, right? We don't need full-time editors. And so like, we'd actually just like to use you or yeah, like just variations of that. It's the life cycle marketing, right? So staying top of mind, it's sending emails, it's consistently posting stuff on social where you're connected with them, like all of that sort of thing. And you know, over time, people are like, oh, I don't need that now. And then like six months later, they're like, oh, I do need that thing. And like, yeah, John's the, the editor guy, right? The editor ninja's the, like the service I should talk to you first. And, you know, yeah, if people go to a competitor and then they come back. I've had that happen, you know, for whatever reason, the competitor just wasn't, wasn't right for them, couldn't turn around fast enough or just not consistent in their output or operations were a mess or something like that. Like, that's what I shine at, you know? So, I mean, Ne never burn bridges, right? And like wish people right. well and say, hey, I hope, I hope that works out and keep in touch, you know, follow up. Like, freaking A, man, follow up. People just don't follow up to people that like said they're going a different direction or solving it in a different way. Like check in a month later, check in three months later. Like you never know how things are gonna are gonna change. I've closed so many deals when we when it wasn't a fit at that time and they went somewhere else and it didn't work out and they come back. Like just it's I don't know. It's it's good sales, you know, it's good marketing as well. So that's, uh, that's cool. I hope those close. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Hope yeah. Hopefully I'll have an update on those soon. In terms of the personal branding, this is kind of under the category of where I could use some help feedback. I know that at least from the outside looking in, you've got a pretty big personal audience on Twitter. You've got 35,000 and some followers might even be higher now because I wrote that number down yeah. a week or so ago. As I acquire productize and scale, I'm also inheriting a sizable audience. I mean, the newsletter is mm. something like 12,000 people. The podcast has a bunch of downloads. The website gets traffic. So kind of overnight, I've effectively bought myself a, an audience. And I've also bought myself some clarity in terms of my personal brand. In the past, I've struggled with like, hey, I'm, I'm a, a advocate for freelancers. I've been one in the past. I love helping them grow their businesses. I operate in the e-commerce space. I work for an e-commerce CRO firm. I know a little bit about CRO. I'm a marketing leader, you know, content marketing I love. I, I'm a podcasting addict. Like there's all these things 
that I could be, and I am all those things, but outwardly, uh, I think it makes sense to kind of plant your flag in one area, maybe two, and just say, I am an expert in these one or two things. If you wanna learn more about those, follow me. So I think I've solved that part of things. I just really wanna make the most of the attention that I'm going to have from buying productized and scale. And I'm curious if you have any lessons learned or experiences you'd like to share, because frankly, I don't, I don't know how you built up your 35,000 followers. I know you were in the SEO space for a while and that might be the answer, but like, yeah, I mean, if I wanted to go from the 2,600 that I have today and followers is a vanity metric to some degree, but let's just say I want to grow my audience and engagement goes in lockstep with that. What advice do you have for me? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm at like 30, yeah, 34, 35 on Twitter. And, you know, my, my personal site used to be read a lot more. I haven't really invested in that in quite a while. And I kind of made a shift from like SEO and like acquisition. I still like people still know me for that. And like, I can still talk about it and still do it on my own sites. But like, I'm not the like geeky SEO guy anymore, but I built it over time, honestly, just through blogging consistently, posting, you know, on social media consistently through conversing with people, right? Through pushing back, you know, on on people, questioning things in a healthy way, not in a like the way the SEO industry usually does it, be, you know, a, aggressive way, but in just a, like, hey, I have a question about that. I've seen this, what do you think? And just like having actual real, like healthy conversation. Plus like the SEO space has been is big and it, it was really starting to grow at that point. Like I got into it 2010, 2011 you know, got to blog on big sites that have good audiences and all of that. So like, that's, that's where I really grew. I went from like nothing in 2010 to like in 2013, 14, had like 16,000. And then I basically stalled out when I went in house. And then when I went back out on my own over the last seven years, I've over doubled that. But like, it's been a long time, you know, I think for you, maybe what you should look at is cause like you, you have a productized service, you own a community now that of people that have productized services you know, other people that have productized services, I think like, I think I would look at these people that have kind of established themselves like as a category, like expert, whether they, so like, I think about people like what's the, Jesse, Jesse Puji, Puji, something like that, where like, he's like a direct to consumer guy, but also has like, but so he has like, I think he started a direct to consumer brand, maybe fought a couple of direct to consumer brands has a SaaS that's serving direct to consumer brands. Like everything is in like this one space. I would look at how people like that have built their audience. I think he blogs about direct-to-consumer. He has a newsletter about direct-to-consumer, right? Like if you just go all in around productized services, like, you know, you, you can build a community for productized services. You, we, we're literally on a podcast right now talking about our productized services, right? Like you have a podcast yeah. about productized services, about your productized service, maybe then have one about people building productized services. You have a newsletter about productized services, like, just kind of building that whole ecosystem, right? It, it doesn't have to be the like, I am a, you know, I'm a productized service owner, but like I own multiple productized services and I have a community about productized services, teaching people how to build them, you know, talking with experts who have built their own, learning from them. I don't know. That, that That's kind of the model that I would, that I would look at. I don't think my model of getting known like in one space, like SEO is really the like, it, it's not the model that I would follow if I were, if I were you. But I do think the like consistently showing up podcasting, blogging, building companies in the space, like interacting with people that are like, you know, kind of that, that are well known in the space that have built, you know, big ones. So, you know, Sam and Joel and, you know, the guy from uh, Design Joy from, you know, forgetting his name right now, Brett, or even like his name's Brett. Yeah, Brett, like, you know, Russ Perry from Design Pickle, like, you know, there's a bunch of other of these like graphic design, you know, unlimited graphic design, like productized services out there, like, 
just just becoming the person that knows everyone in that space, that knows all of the best people in that space, right? Like that right there is going to show big like dividends for you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, the one non-negotiable is the consistency aspect. That's pretty much universal advice is like you got to show up every day or multiple times a week at least. And whatever cadence you pick, like you got to stick to it long term. You can't have these fits and starts. And so I think it's one of those like the cobbler's kids have no shoes. When I've been working in-house as a marketing director, thinking about marketing for my W-2 position all the time, pretty much don't want to touch Twitter after hours for my personal stuff. So I think the other piece of advice I heard recently was from Jay Klaus, and, and it was from an interview that he did, but I can't remember who that guest was, but it was basically like, build yourself a runway. So do a sprint for a week and write 100 posts or whatever. And now all of a sudden you're two or three months ahead and you don't feel the need to be creative on the spot. You've got this backlog and you're starting to schedule stuff out. So what you're writing today is really, you know, a couple months ahead of time and there's less urgency because you can't really force creativity. Like your best stuff doesn't really, I mean, some people work like that. Some people cram for the test or whatever, but for the most part, it's like creativity comes when you create space and breathing room for yourself. You go for a walk. That's why we have our best ideas in the shower. It's like when you're not thinking about the thing is usually when you have the best ideas about the thing. And so that's one thing I'm thinking about is like, how do I build myself a runway and then use that to be able to show up every day because I'm not always feeling the pressure of a deadline or did I post today? Did I fill all three slots on Twitter today? Whatever. Totally. Yeah. I've, I've never been one to like keep to a calendar. And I, I, I respect people that are like, we publish three blog posts and 10 tweets and three threads and two newsletters a week. I'm like, wow, that's like a production engine that like, I just can't keep up with. But the way I do it, you want, you want to know my hack for basically solving problems that I'm, that I'm experiencing in my business. I, you know, I'm thinking through pricing, let's say. First of all, I, I try to figure out who are the pricing experts that I know, right? And I think of like Marcos Rivera, pricing IO, and there's some people like that. Marcos is basically the guy. And then I go to podcasts and I look up, I do Marcos Rivera pricing. And I find things that Marcos has, the podcast Marcos has done about pricing. And I cue those up and I go on walks and I listen to Marcos talk about pricing because I'm not in front of my computer. I'm not getting distracted by Slack and, and email and all this stuff. I'm, I'm on a walk, right? I'm, and I'm, I'm just listening. And then that, that right there helps me solve the problem. So I think that's a, that could be a powerful way, you know, to kind of do it, do it as well. And what I do is I, I hear these things. It gets me started thinking. I record myself talking about it, right? To like share on a podcast or whatever. And then I'll like go back to those videos. Maybe I'll get them transcribed. And then I know exactly what I think you know, about the, about the thing. And then I've got, then I have tweets. I have literally tweets yeah. in my own voice because I said it right. And then it's like, then I have the social media copy. I have videos. I can get chopped up that kind of thing. So that's, it's a hack that's worked for me. That's like my process. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And you know, what I tell myself is like, my gut reaction is to find the expert and then go book a clarity call with them or something like that. But oftentimes you can get 80% of the way there plus just listening to their interviews. So I go to a site called listennotes.com. I search for their name and I might be like John Doherty SEO or John Doherty editing or whatever. And I find a few episodes to your point. I listen to those. And if I still have questions, now my clarity call with them just got that much more valuable because I can skip past the 100 to 200 level stuff and I can only fill in the gaps for that more advanced type of stuff. So love you got love it. That advice, if you man. need that individual like advice, right? You may not like it. It may not be what you need. You might get everything that you need and be and be smart enough to apply it to your own personal situation you know and if that doesn't work then maybe like book a call with them or something like that but man like 
I, I was thinking about this the other day as I was I was on a walk, I was listening to podcasts, I was listening to a, a Lewis Howes podcast from Grant Cardone talking about like investing and buying assets and that kind of thing. And I think what you will about, you know, about Grant, like he's, he's a smart, successful guy. And like, I believe that we can, we can learn a lot from people that we may even disagree with. And so I've been trying to do more of that, honestly. And I was walking and I was like, man, like the, the knowledge that Grant is dropping on this, on this podcast, like probably in the past charged like tens of thousands of dollars for people to get this knowledge. And he's getting it for free talking about how he thinks about like, you know, cash and what, you know, what cash is worth and how he invested in and how he's built his business and you know over time went from just his own money to like getting other people in on the deal and how he wants to like pay like turn all these people into investors and get them paid dividends by investing in cash flow properties like all this stuff i was like this is all for free and it's taking like three hours of my time to listen to two different podcasts that he did with lewis over time you know like that, that that's insane like that level of value is absolutely insane like it is amazing how much you can learn for free same right. thing with with customer research interviews right like you don't have to like go through the like sign them up, try to close them, you know, get they churn, you try to get feedback, like that sort of stuff. Go ask them what they want ahead of time, right? It's free. It, it takes 30 minutes of your time to go and have these conversations. And then you can, then you know that you can build the thing, you know, I'm, I'm all about these, you know, it's this free advice. I think the, the world with podcasts and, and all that, like people just give away so much value for free. It's, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think I heard somebody say once that one hour of customer interviews is worth 10 hours of fumbling around in the dark, trying to figure it out yourself. So true. Yeah. I wish it was only 10 hours of fumbling around the dark, right? We're literally talking about like, you can literally save you months or years of time and frustration and failing, right? Like, Cool, man. Uh, well, we've been talking for almost an hour. Let's wrap this thing up. One last bit of exciting news. We're on YouTube now. So they opened up custom handles as well because they knew where we were coming. So you can find <laughs> all of our episodes now at youtube.com backslash at working sessions. So that's that's the model for their URL. I'll also put that in the show notes. But yeah, workingsessions.fm is the primary website and we will link to YouTube there as well. But if you prefer video and you wanna see John and I's ugly mugs, you can head on over there and catch the, all the past episodes if that's your preferred listening. So yeah, as always, John, man, great, great to hear from you and we'll look forward to catching up with you again uh, next week. Sounds good, man. See you next time. Thanks everyone.